Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark in the hit TV show, Shark Tank. I'm also the inventor of the infomercial and an ass on TV. Dove is a special uh, entrepreneur. Uh, he does amazing podcasts, but he's also a speaker and a consultant. Hi, I'm Sal Sylvester. I'm the author of Unite, the four mindset shifts for senior leaders and founder of Coach Metrics. He's a thought leader in the field, fantastic author. He's got an amazing radio show. Hello there, my name is Brett Trapp. I'm a creative consultant living in Atlanta, Georgia. Also the creator of Blue Babies Pink. Uh, this guy has written books, has a successful podcast, uh, and is absolutely changing the game when it comes to leadership and leadership development. Hey guys, Cameron Brown here, founder of The Thriving Collective. I travel the world helping people make a greater impact. Dolph is uh, just an outstanding character, uh, high quality guy, authentic guy, uh, master on leadership. My name is Chris Stoikos, founder of thebeardclub.com. And I'd just like to say that Dove has a very, very unique approach to working with businesses. Hey, this is Derry Apjohn, as well as Davis, aka The Strategy Man. And if I'm going to describe Dove in three words, it's going to be courageous, deep, and conscious. And that's exactly what you need for leadership right now. Hey guys, this is Devon Harris, original member of the Jamaican Bobsled team, three-time Olympian, author, speaker, philanthropist, he is one of the most amazing guys you'll ever meet, an amazing interviewer, but at the same time, an amazing speaker. Hi, I'm Nate Regeer, CEO and co-founding partner of Next Element Consulting, a global leadership training company specializing in conflict communication. You know, the more I get to know Dov Barron, the more I admire his authenticity, his genuine commitment to something that I share deep in my heart, which is this notion of authentic communication. I'm Jared Nichols. I'm a futurist, executive advisor, host of the NSBA podcast, The Road Ahead, and also president of the Jared Nichols Group. Dov is uh, an outstanding thought leader when it comes to leadership and the traits and the qualities of leadership that are going to be necessary to succeed in the 21st century. Hey everybody, Coach Brew here, best-selling author of Stadium Status, taking your business to the big time. If I had to describe Dov in three words, it would be expertise, genuine, and heart-centered leader. I'm John Berga, the president of Flourishing Leadership Institute, where we enable communities and organizations. He has a finger on the pulse of what the future is asking for from leaders. Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger of the Art of Charm podcast. Dov Barron is a great host with insightful perspective. He understands what makes people tick, and he can get to the heart of the matter in an entertaining and educational and informational way. Hi, I'm Joshua Miller, and I am the author of the new book, I Call Bullshit, Live Your Life, Not Somebody Else's. Dov Barron, to me, when you talk about authentic leadership and cutting through the bullshit, there's nobody I would trust to go to than Dov Barron. Hello there, I'm Mike Glauser. I've been studying entrepreneurial leadership for more than 20 years. He really knows how to teach authentic leadership and that's one of the most important things today in leading organizations. Hi there, my name is Rick Barker. I am the founder of the Music Industry Blueprint. I help people navigate the music business. He had made me aware of some things that were quite visible, but were still hidden. I'm Tom Bilyeu, co-founder of Quest Nutrition and Impact Theory. Dov is absolutely amazing. I really enjoyed my time. A, he knows the guests before they come on, which is absolutely critical. But B, this guy, most importantly, has intensity, well thought out ideas, often counterintuitive, which is what 
makes him great. Hi, I'm Tim Sanders, author of the book Love is the Killer App, How to Win Business and Influence Friends. His perspective is laser sharp about the things that matter. Have you ever seen one of those specials where they're talking to some kid on YouTube who makes 10 million a year? And you're thinking, WTF? <laughs> or why some bands who you thought were so average become massive? Well, your mate's band, your, your best friend's band, they're awesome and they can't get a break. We all know that attention is the new economy. Everyone is vying for attention. Some get it, some don't. Is there a magic formula or is it something, some psychological trigger embedded within us that some people and some companies know how to turn on? I have always been curious about what makes people people. Why do we do what it is that we do? If you're curious about these things, you are going to love this episode. My name is Dove Barron. You can find out more about me and hiring me as your speaker or your strategist by going to fullmontyleadership.com forward slash consulting or fullmontyleadership.com forward slash speaking. My guest on this episode is Mr. Jamie Mustard. No, he is not from a board game in England. His name is Jamie Mustard. And we are gonna talk about that name because we have to anyway. But Jamie Mustard is an expert on perception in the physical world a strategic multimedia consultant, an art design product, a future product, a translator of technology, creative artist, and iconist. He is the author of a highly anticipated book called Iconist, The Art and Science of Standing Out. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> your hands and welcome to the stage, Mr. I love it. I love it. That, you know what I love about that intro is I used to have a radio show, and to make guests feel comfortable very quickly, I would just do the most outrageous intros, and then they would relax. And I think you just outdid me, which I oh, didn't really? think was possible. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, mate. I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. So before we start, tell me, tell us what you are most curious about right now. Wow, got, wow you, you, that's a really interesting question. I guess, I, I guess right now, I didn't know, I mean, it's a great question. I, what I'm most curious about uh, right now, I mean, I'm, I've been very interested in art and artistic personalities and ideas about how someone can have a creative life in a sane way. And there's lots of books on this subject and um, but none of the books on the subject, whether it's, the, and they're great books, whether it's The Artist Way, or there's an incredible book by Stephen Pressfield called uh, The War of Art. People give it to everyone. But, and I love those I'm books. And, way more copies than he has. Exactly, exactly. And I love those books, and, and they're, they're um, pa uh, ma manuals for me. But I feel like they didn't, they don't, they don't totally reflect my journey and the journey of a lot of people where I feel people get, get caught. What, what I, where I see people get caught is different than these really, really popular books. So I've been really interested lately in codifying um, where creative people get caught 
and giving them uh, and putting together, a, um, I guess, a, you know, a, a roadmap or a manual that is more based on my experience and the people that I know. When you say where creative people get caught, what do you mean by caught? I think that there's a lot of glamorization in the media about a creative life, right? I mean, there's the, there's the cliche, which I think is getting less of the starving or the suffering artists. And I think yep. books like uh, The War of Art and The Artist's Way address that really, really well, right? I think I'm more, uh, I guess, interested in the cerebral place where artists get caught, mm -hmm. which is, you know, I spent 15 years kind of practicing or trying to be a creative director where I wasn't really good. And I didn't, because of the way that I grew up, I didn't really have um, somebody that I could call all the time and say, hey, you know, I'm really suffering right now. I don't feel like I'm going to be very good at this. Uh, and so I stayed in this kind of purgatory for a very, very long time. It was very unpleasant for me. And, and, I, and unnecessary. Had, had there been, had I known that was the normal, right. that you, you have to go through a long period of trial and error, um, then I would have, I wouldn't have had anxiety. I wouldn't have right. had a lot of things that can then end up resulting in destructive behavior, either externally or internally. Yeah. For, for many. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. So, you know, you, you just brought something up. So you brought up um, how you grew up. Let, let's start there by, uh, there's something I've noticed. Um, you know, you and I are very much about noticing patterns in the world. Mm. Something I've noticed um, in the people that I've gotten to know in my uh, couple of years on the planet that about extraordinary human beings. So I want to ask you, were you a weird kid? Did you feel like an alien in your own home, in your own world? Yeah, I, th I think so. I mean, I was already in a very weird world. So I, I grew up in a very weird world, which we could go more into if you want. So that just circumstantially, I was weird uh, by the nature of my physical place in the physical environment that I was in uh, and who, by who my parents were and the choices they made and all those kinds of things. So yeah, absolutely. I felt um, like an alien, but I was also very much when I was younger, a people pleaser. My way of coping, my, my older brother, his way of coping was through maybe drugs and alcohol or doing things he shouldn't have done or, you know, sure. I mean, yeah, I don't want to throw him under a bus or anything. I, I don't want him to stop talking to me, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, my, yeah. do not listen to that show. Again, okay? <laughs> but my way of coping was to just try to make everybody happy. Just try to keep the peace, try to make sure my little brother who was seven years younger to be that he was going to be okay. And so that, and that had its own pitfalls as I got older, because you can't be effective in life if all you're thinking about is pleasing people. But I'm really fascinated by this piece of the people I've met who are outstanding always have seem to have this moment well, many of these moments very often where they're looking around and going, what the hell am I doing here? Like this place, like, was I born on the wrong planet? Okay. Um, I mean, you know, that feeling of, did my parents adopt me? I mean, cause I just 
don't feel like I fit in here. What's going on? How raw are we supposed to get on this show? I mean, how honest? Raw as you like, Mike. I, I love raw. Okay. I mean, I got a little bit of chills when you, when you said that because there were, quite honestly, there were a lot of moments. You know, there were, there were moments where I was living in institutions away from my parents, which didn't make a lot of sense because, you know, they were irresponsible hippies that abandoned me. And then I was right. being raised by others in an institutional environment. So that being said, you know, I had the craziest thoughts in my head throughout my childhood that were moments like that. The early moments, maybe when I was between five and seven, were moments where I would literally wish that my parents would die in a car crash. And that's a kind of strange thing because I never met my father until a few years ago. Okay. Right. But, but, uh, but at that time, my parents were not being totally honest to me about who my father was. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of pieces going on here. Sure. But, uh, so I would literally go into this slum basement, not far from downtown Los Angeles, and just have fantasies about them dying. And the reason I would have those fantasies isn't because I wanted them dead. But it was because if they were dead, they wouldn't be doing this to me. They wouldn't be part of it. It would be, there would be no person behind it. It would be like an, an accident. And I could, if it were an accident, it would just be a little more emotionally bearable. Right. That makes sense. And then yeah. as I got, yeah. And as I got older, you know, I'm a mixed kid of, of uh, dubious ethnicity. You can't necessarily look at me and go, he's a that. You know, I've got dark skin and green eyes. And, and so I look a little different. Right. right. And, and so, uh, yeah, I never felt ever in my life like I wasn't anything other than the other or a fish out of water. It's not something I ever talk about, really. I mean, you're, at, you're, you're getting me to talk about something I don't talk about. It's not that I'm not willing to talk about it. It's, sure. just, it's just that um, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a weird thing to talk about. And also, you go through a period where you start to understand that otherness, which is the worst feeling, and it's, a, it's, a, it's like a life sentence. You, you feel it for decades. And then, but there was this period where it morphs. And you start to see, at least for me, oh, no. This is giving me this unique perspective. Yeah. And this unique perspective makes me bold. It makes me courageous. It gets, I bring ideas that other people. I started to see it as an advantage at, at some point, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago or something like that. Right. Yeah. You know, your book is, your book is, is the, is Iconist. And years ago, I wrote an outline for a book called Weirdo, right? And it was just an outline that I wrote. And it was really about that question I just asked you. And it was about how so many of the people I know who are extraordinary uh, were weirdos or felt like weirdos or felt like aliens or freaks. I mean, I, you know, um, there's, um, uh, God, I forgot the name of the band for a second. I had a brain fart. We're in some cranial flatulence right now. Uh, bare, naked, bare naked ladies? Not them, no. I just uh, named Canadian bands. And that's the only yeah, one I know. They're not Canadian. <laughs> uh, thank you, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, they're from the mother country. Um, okay. uh, uh, no, it's um, Creep. The song is Creep. Right. Oh, Radiohead. I'm a creep. Yeah. I'm a weirdo. I love yeah. that song. Yeah, I never sing that. I sing it. I mean, it's one of those songs that for me just boom hits. 
Um, but I always sing, I'm a freak. I'm a oh. weirdo. Not a creep, oh. a freak. Because as a kid, that is always what I felt. And not just as a little kid, but even as I grew up. And I realized that that is, you know, I wrote a whole lot of work on, in my, over my decades of here and um, wrote a lot of stuff around charisma. What is charisma and the misperceptions of charisma? And I truly believe one of the misperceptions of charisma is that real charismatic people are weird. There's something weird about them. It's interesting. There's something you go, what is it? This is not the best looking guy in a room. Like he's not built like, you know, like a, a god. Why am I so attracted to that guy? She's not that beautiful. Why am I so attracted to her? She's not my type. Why am I attracted to her? This guy it doesn't seem like a, like, you know, like an Einstein. How come I just, I want to just spend hours talking to this guy. You know what I mean? It's like, and I find that that's the real charisma is, is there's a weirdness. There's a, you know, that th that is the magnetism. That is the pull. I never thought about it, but I have spent, I have created my own formula for what I think charisma is. And, I, and now I'm going to start to meld what you said with how I've always thought of it. But do you want to hear what I think the codified formula for charisma is? I do. Okay. I've always thought of it, and this is why I was so attracted to you and I was so interested in engaging. Um, but to me, I spent a lot of years, I had an uncle who was very charismatic and he wasn't like, he, he, he was how you described, you know, very an odd guy, but people were just magnetized to the guy. And I was always trying to figure it out. He wasn't the most kind of beautiful faced man, but everyone loved this guy. Yeah. And, and, um, and I finally, so I, I, I set out to codify a formula and I did. Okay. And this is what I've spotted in most charismatic people. And I would think that it describes you. I think charisma is two factors, humility and power. These are two opposite poles. And when yes. you, have, you have the pole of humility and you have the pole of power in a single individual, it creates a magnetism into that person. That's been where I landed. But now, I'm gonna, now you got me out of, I'm gonna start thinking about this weirdness thing, right? Well, you know, it's, it's very interesting because um, I've written, as I said, I've written a lot about it. And one of the things that I talked about with charisma um, you know, because I went more than just the weirdness. But one of the things I talked about was in that charisma, they also have the X factor. And I describe what I see the X factor. Because oftentimes when people meet somebody like that, they'll say, I don't know what it is. But there's something about Jamie. There's something about Fred. There's something about Susan. Oh. Right? And when they say that, that's the X factor. And here's my codification of the X factor. Okay. The X factor is absolute certainty and absolute openness so this person carries themselves with incredible amounts of certainty that 99.9% .9 of people will never even come close to they have a certainty about them but they're also wide open so that like this is who I am in the world and I'm massively curious those are uh, again what's very it's very it's a, it's a not so far from what I just said in a strange way. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and what I like about that is it's two opposite poles. Certainty typically implies closed-mindedness. Yep. And openness typically implies wishy-washiness. 
Yeah. So when you have that's so, but again, what I like about that description, I'm learning now, Dove. I thought I was just going to answer questions, and now I'm learning. What <laughs> <laughs> I love about that is that again, it's that. Well, I think when you have two very distinct poles, off yeah. the opposite ends of the spectrum, you create a magnet. Uh, in the same exactly. Now you have me yeah. thinking about this weirdness thing because you know we talk about charisma. That's one thing, and then you you brought it over to the X factor. That's another thing. And I think that when you start getting into this S factor idea, that's where I'm starting to go. I think this kind of freak weirdness thing is a big part of that. I do too. I do yeah. too. But I, you know, I, and I love what you're saying because um, when, when I think about resonance in quantum physics, and you know, you're talking about a magnet, and when you look at the people, I the question I will often ask is people asking me about about charisma. I'll say, well, tell me the difference between charisma and arrogance. You know, and people will stumble around that question a lot because it looks pretty similar, right? Somebody who's like, yeah. you know, like you can see certain leaders. Let's use leaders as an example. People with orange faces who live in big white houses. Um, <laughs> Not given any names <laughs> because I'm so subtle. Uh, uh, <laughs> I have all the subtlety of a sledgehammer. Uh, but the, you know, you can see the arrogance, mm -hmm. uh, and and yet truly charismatic people have, don't have arrogance, as you said. They have a humbleness, they have a humility, they have a humanity about them. And and it is this place of I know who I am, but I don't put that on the world. It's not, that's not the world. That's I've done whatever it takes to own this, but I can't own that. And I'm and I'm curious again. That deep. I mean, I that's why this show is about curiosity. I'm so deeply curious about the world. Therefore, um, I'm wrong or I want to know more is embedded in a deeply charismatic person. So when you meet a charismatic person, they're like, who are you? Tell me about you. I'm, I want to know about you. Whereas an arrogant person is like, oh, it's all about me. Let's talk about me. Oh, enough about me. Let's talk more about me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, it's something I think a lot about. I mean, one of the reasons, one of the things I liked in my email exchange with you and your assistant was every email was signed is signed with gratitude and respect. And you're a, a very successful guy. And I just don't bump into people that influence others that have that kind of vibe at the same time. So I thought, wow, because that one of the things, one of the things I'll sign an email very common. I hope I'm not giving your secrets away here, but I sign an email very common. Uh, I'll say with much appreciation. Right. right. And, and I, and, and I get criticized for it. I'm, I, I, I get, I've had my speaker rep and clients for years say things to me like, you know, you could be, yeah, almost like you could be a little more arrogant. Yeah. You, you know, like, like your brand could be a little more arrogant, you know, and I find it a fascinating thing. I want to touch back on this art thing just before we don't forget. And I want to say this yeah. about, just so we don't leave it tied up in a bow a little bit, uh, or at least get it to a place where we can return to it. Um, over the years, what I, what I found was that um, that fish out of waterness, that freakness that we were talking about, right? That was something I resisted and hated about myself for years. And yep. I thought it was like 
everybody else felt comfortable in a room and I didn't feel comfortable in a room. And, you know, now I probably get accused of being always the most comfortable person in the room. Right. And I don't even know that that's even true. I don't think it's, I don't think my feelings have changed. What changed is I realized to your point that that freakness, that feeling like I'm outside the fishbowl, that was not only the opportunity, but the sacrifice. Meaning if you're a writer, if you're a thought leader, I mean, even that word thought leader, it makes me nervous. But if you're somebody that is a creative thinker, somebody, an innovator, um, if you're part of the establishment, you can't do that. Your job, I have, I, and, and, and it's, it's so important because I work with so many young artists and it comes up all the time. I, I feel so weird. I feel so strange. I'm not comfortable. And um, I say to them, this is what I say to them. And it's, and it's, I don't just say to them, lean in, that's the job. Like you wouldn't be able to do what you do if you didn't feel that way. You have to right. be outside the fishbowl. I go further than that. Right. And I get, really, I get really serious about it because I want them to have a stable way of looking at the world. And I say, not only is it the job, it's the sacrifice. Mm. You, don't get, you don't get built up and muscled without going to the gym, right? Right. Um, so, you, or whatever we do in life, there's opportunity costs, right? If I sit and I write a book all day, every day, I'm not out there at happy hour, or I'm not out there on the golf course, or I'm not out there, I'm sacrificing one thing for another. If you're a professional athlete, same thing. It's different in every field. But I say to these kids, these creative kids, all really succinctly, not only is it the, the job, it's the sacrifice. Part of, if you pursue this work, it is your job to stay outside the fishbowl and it is your job to deal with part of the alienation. And there's a loneliness to that. That, yes. is, that is part of the job. It's not like you get over the loneliness. You lean into it saying, I'm sacrificing being around other people all the time uh, so that I can contribute to them. And yes. you, does that make sense? I think that makes perfect sense. And I, and I I actually want to underline that statement where you okay. just said. Uh, so again, you know that you you feel the loneliness of being away from everyone, so that you can actually serve them. And I think that most of us in our world are running around on empty, trying to serve others. And that understanding that you have to fill your tank. And you may call filling your tank a feeling of loneliness, but you still have to fill that tank if you are dedicated to serve. And, you know, and people say to me, it's Sunday. And I go, and? <laughs> I heard. Right? And people will say to me, you know, well, don't you think you're a workaholic? I would definitely think I'm a workaholic if, and here's the outline for workaholic, if I'm doing it for everybody else's um, approval, and if I don't really want to do it. Mm -hmm. But I love what I do, and when I'm doing this kind of stuff, I don't give a crap whether people like it or not. I'm doing it because I want to do it. You know, I'm I'm making these things because I'm a creative person. Uh, and is it a sacrifice because it's a sunny day and I'd like to be outside? Yes. But at the end of creating something is delicious, and there's a deliciousness to yeah. having created something. And even for me, it was a sun lover. It's like, oh, but that was so, mm, like, and, but, you know, the sweat and the tearing off of my own skin to get to it, 
this this thing now is like oh that's so delicious i have an understanding of something i hadn't like i've been meddling around in my brain and suddenly all these ingredients came together and, and i've made this deliciousness called this understanding of the creative process i just wrote a whole piece around around how the creative process is interacting how we are interacting with creative uh, force of the universe and how it flows into us and that our mind is the mold in which it pours and, and owning the mind around those kind of things was, you know and like and I did that on a on an afternoon I booked off to go do something for me you know like I was going to just go hang out watch the water yeah and and the sacrifice was yes I do need that time but this was delicious I hear you I there's nothing there's a feeling and for me it's a very almost alone feeling then because uh then completing some sort of creative task whether it's an event i'm hosting or an article i just wrote or a chapter or anything like that where i have a moment when i see it kind of come together or i send it off and i and i experience what you're talking about i i think we're, we're talking about the same thing right yeah absolutely yeah and it's such a private thing it's not something i call somebody up and go i'm having this really delicious moment right now. I kind of, re I revel in it. And I, and I really, and, you know, to go, you know, and further in terms of that sacrifice that you make, you know, that sacrifice, if you understand the parts of it, you can kind of have a very full life. I mean, I, I, what I, one of the things that I do is I just have built my life around that sacrifice. I have a few close, close friends. I, 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 I create with a lot of the people that I love, that I love and that I'm fond of. So when we're together and we're spending time, we're often creating at the same time. So uh, it's not like I don't, um, I just sit in this kind of barren room, you know, thinking. I've just understood, okay, that's the sacrifice. How can I be around people and be around loved ones and also do that? And I feel, you know, I mean, it's always a balance that you're looking for, but I feel like I have a, a somewhat of an understanding of the balance.